I invite you at this time to turn in your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 30. Genesis chapter 30, verse 25 through 43, can be found in your pew Bibles on page 47. Hear now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. After Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me on my way so I can go back to my own homeland. Give me my wives and children for whom I have served you, and I will be on my way. You know how much work I have done for you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your eyes, please stay. I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. He added, name your wages and I will pay them. Jacob said to him, you know how I have worked for you and how your livestock has fared under my care. The little you had before I came has increased greatly and the Lord has blessed you wherever I have been. But now, when may I do something for my own household? What shall I give you? He asked. Don't give me anything, Jacob replied. But if you will do this one thing for me, I will go on tending your flocks and watching over them. Let me go through your flocks today and remove from them every speckled or spotted sheep, every dark-colored lamb, and every spotted or speckled goat. They will be my wages. And my honesty will testify for me in the future whenever you check on the wages you have paid me. Any goat in my possession that is not speckled or spotted, or any lamb that is not dark-colored will be considered stolen." Agreed, said Laban, let it be as you have said. That same day he removed all the male goats that were streaked or spotted, and all the speckled or spotted female goats, all that had white on them, and all the dark-colored lambs, and he placed them in the care of his sons. Then he put a three-day journey between himself and Jacob, while Jacob continued to tend the rest of Laban's flocks. Jacob, however, took fresh-cut branches from poplar, almond, and plane trees, And made white stripes on them by peeling the bark and exposing the white inner wood of the branches. Then he placed the peeled branches in all the watering troughs so that they would be directly in front of the flocks when they came to drink. When the flocks were in heat and came to drink, they made it in front of the branches. And they bore young that were streaked or speckled or spotted. Jacob set apart the young of the flock by themselves, but made the rest face the streaked and dark-colored animals that belonged to Laban. Thus he made separate flocks for himself and did not put them with Laban's animals. Whenever the stronger females were in heat, Jacob replaced the branches in the troughs in front of the animals so they would mate near the branches. But if the animals were weak, he would not place them there. So the weak animals went to Laban and the strong ones to Jacob. And this way the man grew exceedingly prosperous and came to own large flocks and maidservants and menservants and camels and donkeys." Thus for the reading of God's holy word, may he bless the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. Many of you might be familiar with the movie of the Shawshank Redemption. Now, I'll try not to spoil anything for you if you um, haven't seen it. But the premise of the movie is a man who's wrongfully imprisoned. 
And this man uh, is wrongfully imprisoned for the murder of his wife. And, um, and you know he's wrongfully imprisoned. You're, you're privy to those details. You know he, he's not the one that killed his wife. And so the whole time he's in prison, you sense this feeling of injustice. But the problem is this man was useful to the prison warden. And so the prison warden did not want this man to be released. And the prison warden had this man do his books, had this man do all kinds of jobs for him while he was in prison. And because of this, the prison warden, even though he found out that this man was uh, innocent, did not want to release this man. Uh, Needless to say, the end of the movie is a great and wonderful feeling of, aha, you finally got yours. This guy, um, the injustice is reversed, okay? That's that's as far as I'll go because I... I think you should watch the movie. It's a good movie. Um, But that feeling that you get, aha, you finally got his coming for him. You know, that's like a universal human feeling, isn't it? It's it's one that that whole movie bases its whole structure off of, is that you get that feeling of, of release. You get that feeling of, yes, finally things were reversed. The tables were switched, and the person that you knew was the bad person finally got what was coming to them, and the person you knew was the good person finally got what he deserved. Because God has sort of wired us to be that way, to have this inner sense of justice. Well, in a very real sense, we're beginning to feel that sort of um, feeling play out in Jacob's narrative um, at this point in the story. What we're finding is that Laban is, is a bit of a, um, well, Jacob's met his match as far as trickery and, and uh, deception go. Um, and Laban has taken advantage of Jacob for some time. And just as it seems that that time of being taken advantage of is going to come to an end and Jacob's going to be able to find his own way in this world, um, something else happens. What we find out this morning, though, in our passage, is that God fulfills his promises in his timing despite difficult circumstances and difficult people. God fulfills his promises in his timing, not our timing, despite difficult circumstances and difficult people. And as we look at this passage, we're going to see those truths come to reality. We're going to see those truths come forward. What does it mean that this is all happening in God's timing? What does it mean, these difficult circumstances? Uh, um, And what does it mean, these difficult people? So let's look at this first point in his timing. Verse 25 um, and following, we read, that after Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me on my way so I can go back to my own homeland. Give me my wives and children from whom I have served you, and I will be on my way. You know how much I've, uh, work I've done for you. If you remember the story up to this point, what you'll find out is that Laban tricked Jacob into marrying Leah. Um, after the seven years that Jacob worked for Laban uh, for what he believed would be Rachel. And so then Laban said, oh, sorry, that's not the way we do things around here. But here, I'll give you Rachel. You just work for me another seven years. And so what we find out, though, is that the reason why Jacob um, worked for uh, Laban that seven years, and then Laban, part of the reason why Laban wanted to trick Jacob into working seven more years was not just because he thought it would be hard to get rid of his uh, less desirable daughter, Leah, but because he realized that God was blessing him because of Jacob's presence. And so Laban got 14 years of work out of Jacob. 
And then, once Rachel gave birth to Joseph, in a timely manner, it seemed to be seven years, Jacob says, my time of indentured servitude to you is done. I've worked 14 years for you. I have my wife, my kids, my wives, my kids. Um, I want to go and, and, and be done with this arrangement, right? Um, it seems like that would be the perfect timing, right? To be done with everything. Jacob ran away from home thinking that he would just be gone a short time. His mother thought he would just be gone a short time. That his mother would send a note to, her, to him saying, you can come back. Esau doesn't want to kill you anymore. It's all safe. It's all good. You're in the clear. Instead, he's been there 14 years. And now it finally seems like Jacob's family is whole. The wife he loves has finally given him a son. And, and he wants to be his own person. He wants to be his own entity, his own family. He has this desire to return to his homeland, to the promised land. But this is what Laban says to him. If I have found favor in your eyes, please stay. I have learned from divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. What is divination? Well, it's a uh, superstitious, supernatural practice. It's a pagan practice of seeking to find some hidden knowledge by talking to demons. We're going to find out later on in this passage that Laban is not... Uh, a, a follower of Yahweh, a believer of Yahweh. He sees maybe Jacob's God as one God among many gods, but he does not see Jacob's God as the only God. And, uh, and because of this, even we'll find out later that Laban is mad because it seems that Jacob, when he runs off, is stealing their family idols, their family gods. So Laban, though, he uses this practice of divination, and uh, it's not uncommon in the Scriptures for God to use uh, these uh, pagan practices to still uh, for his purposes. And this is what happens here. Je- uh, Laban finds out, he discovers by this divination that the reason why Laban is becoming so wealthy, why he's becoming so rich, why he's being uh, um, uh, so blessed is because Jacob is there. And because God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has promised to bless Jacob. And he's promised to bless those who bless him and curse those who curse him, right? And so Laban doesn't want Jacob to leave. Not because he wants his daughters and his grandkids to stick around, but because Jacob's presence is lining his pockets. He's too busy counting money. He wants Jacob to stick around because Jacob is making him rich. And so even though this 14 years of indentured servitude, servanthood is, is, is up, uh, Laban says, what can I pay you? What can I pay you? Name your wages, and I will pay them. And Jacob says to him, you know I have worked for you and how your livestock has fared under my care. The little you had before I came has increased greatly, and the Lord, Yahweh, has blessed you wherever I have been. But now, <coughs> excuse me, when may I do something for my own household? Jacob wants to begin his own household. And Laban says, what shall I give you? And Jacob says, don't give me anything. You can almost hear an echo of um, Abraham's words to the, the king of Sodom, right? Remember when Abraham went and he saved his um, 
his nephew Lot from the, uh, the attack of those foreign kings that came against Sodom and Gomorrah. And the king of Sodom came and said, of all the spoils, take whatever it is. And Abraham said, listen, I don't want anything because I don't want anybody to be able to say I'm the reason why Abraham is rich. I want, I want people to know that the reason why I've gained money is because the Lord has blessed me. Jacob is saying the same thing. I don't want anything from you. So it looks like what Jacob thought was God's timing, that finally he was going to be able to go and be on his own. He was going to be able to go back to his homeland, back to the promised land that God had promised his father and his father before him, that he was be able to, going to be able to start his own family, his own business, his own household. Seems to be not really playing out this way. But what do we find out? What does Jacob want? He says, don't give me anything, don't... Don't pay me, but this is what I want. I want to strike up this bargain with you. Jacob replies, if you'll do this one thing for me, I'll go on tending your flocks and watching over them. Let me go through all your flocks today and remove from them every speckled or spotted sheep, every dark-colored lamb, and every spotted or speckled goat. They will be my wages. And my honesty will testify for me in the future. Whenever you check on the wages you've paid me, any goat in my possession that is not speckled or spotted, or any lamb that is not dark color will be considered stolen. And this is what Laban says. Agree, let it be as you have said. Let it be as you have said. So here's Jacob's agreement. Jacob's agreement is one in which he takes, it seems to be, um, the, um, the more difficult side. Laban is the winner in this agreement because genetically, if you look at flocks of sheep, the ones that are speckled, the ones that are spotted, the ones that are dark are the ones that are not only less desirable, but they are less common. And so Jacob is saying, listen, this isn't that much to ask of you. You can give me all the sheep that aren't the perfect white spotless lambs, and, um, and you can keep the rest. This is why we say people are the black sheep of the family, right? They're the, the odd one out. They are the one that's different. The rare one, you could say. And so this is what Jacob says. And, and Laban, he's fine with this because he's thinking to himself, I don't know what this Jacob guy's thinking. This is a bad deal for him. For me, it's a good deal. I, I mean, why wouldn't I take this? Right? And this is what Laban says. He agrees to this. But not only does Laban agree to this, he makes an immediate move that shows us Laban's true heart. It shows us Laban's true heart. Jacob says, On this day, I am going to take every dark colored lamb, every spotted sheep, all these speckled goats, all these, they'll be my wages, right? <clears throat> this, is what Jake, this is what Laban does right after that. That same day, he removed all the male goats that were streaked or spotted, all the speckled or spotted female goats, all that had white on them, and all the dark-colored lambs, and he placed them in the care of his sons. And then he moved a three-day journey between himself and Jacob, while Jacob continued to tend the rest of Laban's flocks. What did Laban do there? What did he do? Well, maybe if you can make the, uh, the, take the understanding uh, that Jacob said from this day forward, I will take all the, the sheep and the goats that are born. 
with being black spotted or speckled or whatever, um, then Laban is, is, uh, is not stealing any sheep from Jacob immediately by removing all these kinds of sheep from the flocks, right? Um, but what Laban is doing is common sense animal husbandry. And he's saying, if I take all these speckled, spotted lambs and goats out of the flock, I am making the gene pool smaller. I'm making it less common that there would be another sheep or lamb born with spotted or speckled or whatever. Because I'm taking all the spotted and speckled ones out. They're not going to be able to mate with the other lambs and goats. And they're not going to make more spotted and speckled goats. And so he's putting Jacob at even more of a disadvantage. Because he's taking all of these spotted and speckled goats out of the flock. He's making Jacob take care of all the white ones. And he's making his sons take care of all the spotted and speckled ones. And he's separating them three days apart from each other. So he's making sure that Jacob will get even less. That his wages will be even less. What I tell you, I mean, Jacob has met his match. And this Laban guy, this Laban guy, I mean... He's all the, the, the generic jokes about car, sale, car salesmen and lawyers wrapped up into one. Right? This is a bad guy. So this is a difficult circumstance, right? That Jacob has placed himself in. He said, okay, I'll continue to work for you. But listen, I don't want anything from you. All I want is the, the less desirable lambs and goats to start my own flock, to start my own sheep, to start my own livestock, to start my own thing. And Laban is making it even more difficult for him to gain anything from this situation, this circumstance. And he's thinking, this is going to be great. I'm going to take advantage of Jacob even longer than 14 years. I'm going to have Jacob working for me. And because Jacob is working for me, I'm going to be blessed. I'm going to continue to get richer. But Jacob, he's not going to gain much from this in, in, in interaction, from this encounter, from this arrangement. But Jacob has a plan. Remember, Jacob, he's a trickster too. And maybe uh, some of you might be curious what this whole plan is because it's, it's rather strange. It's rather bizarre, the rest of this, this passage. Maybe many of you have read this and, and gone, what is going on here? What is this about? Well, so Jacob, he understands that, that Laban is trying to take advantage of him. Jacob understands that Laban is trying to make his circumstances even more difficult. Laban is trying to take advantage of this interaction, this uh, arrangement for even longer while leaving Jacob out of the blessing, while leaving Jacob out of being able to start his own family, to start his own livelihood. But this is what Jacob does. He takes fresh cut branches from poplar, almond, and plane trees these are our brown branches, right? And he makes white stripes on them by peeling the bark and exposing the white inner wood of the branches. What is he, he's, he's doing? He's making this visual thing, right, of these branches that are spotted and speckled and striped. And he places these peeled branches in all the watering troughs so that they'd be directly in front of the flocks when they came to drink. And so then when the flocks were in heat and came to drink, they would mate in front of these branches. They would see these spotted and speckled and striped branches as they were mating. 
And so Jacob set apart the young of the flock by themselves, made the rest face the strengthened dark-colored animals that belonged to Laban. Thus he made separate flocks for himself and did not put them with Laban's animals. And Jacob does something that this makes sense. He takes the strong females who are in heat and places the branches in the troughs in front of the animals so they would mate near the branches. But if the animals were weak, he would not place them there. So the weak animals went to Laban and the strong ones to Jacob. And this way the man grew exceedingly prosperous and came to own large flocks and maidservants and men servants and camels and donkeys. Um, what? How is this working? It seems to be that what the Bible is describing here is that there was a, a theory, a superstition about animal husbandry, that if you were to take something visual and you would have the animals that were mating before this visual thing, that the, the animals that they would give birth to would have the same visual reality. That if sheep and goats could mate looking at striped and streaked and spotted things, that they would give birth to sheep and goats and lambs that were striped and streaked and spotted. I mean, this is so not scientific at all. But this is what Jacob is doing. Jacob is, is arranging this whole situation and circumstance so that he can be blessed by this arrangement. He's making it so that the strong females and the strong males mate with each other by watching these, looking at these striped and spotted things. And then they're giving birth to striped and spotted and speckled goats and, and, and lambs and sheep. And so Jacob is being blessed by this thing. I mean, how exactly... Exactly, is this is this working? Is the Bible trying to tell us that this is actually something that works? No, actually, what we find out is that this is part of Jacob's journey in his faith. That he thinks that somehow he can arrange things. And he can work out and manipulate circumstances and situations in order to come out on top. Right? This has worked out for Jacob so far to this point, hasn't it? That if he can catch his brother at at an advantage when his brother is hungry, he can make his brother sell his birthright. No, you got to swear right now. I'm not going to give you this stew until you swear right now. He's taking advantage of this situation and circumstance, right? His mom comes and tells him, hey, listen, your, 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 your father Isaac, he can't see very well, so this is how we're going to trick him. Take advantage of the situation. Take advantage of the circumstance. Then you can get the blessing. You can get the double portion from your, from your, uh, from your father, and you can steal it from your brother Esau, right? And this is another instance in which Jacob thinks that he can take advantage of the situation. He can work things out in a certain way where he can come out on top. But this is the point in which Jacob begins to realize that it's not actually his working and his conniving and his his planning and his scheming that's making sure these things happen and occur. But actually God is at work blessing him. God is the one fulfilling his promise and his timing despite difficult circumstances and difficult people. Listen to what Jacob says to his wives in the next chapter. He said to them, I see that your father's attitude toward me is not what it was before 
but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I've worked for your father with all my strength, that your father has cheated me by changing my wages ten times. However, God has not allowed him to harm me. If he said, the speckled ones will be your wages, then all the flocks gave birth to speckled young. And if he said, the streaked ones will be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked young. So God has taken away your father's livestock and has given them to me. In breeding season, I once had a dream in which I looked up and saw that the male goats mating with the flock were streaked, speckled, or spotted. The angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, I answered, here I am. And he said, look up and see that all the male goats mating with the flocks are streaked, speckled, or spotted. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. Jacob thought he was scheming and conniving to make sure that he could come out on top. But Jacob found out that it was God at work. It was God. It was God fulfilling his promise and his timing despite difficult circumstances and difficult people. And Jacob found out he was one of those difficult people. In a very real sense, too, Jacob's story the one he experiences, the one he lives out in this moment is a foreshadowing of what his children will experience later when they go off to Egypt. Jacob had to leave home and go to a foreign land. A foreign land in which he had a master who took advantage of him. But even though he was experiencing difficulty in this time of being exiled into a foreign land, the Lord blessed him. The Lord increased him. Right? Do you remember the story of the Exodus? Do you remember the story of the people of Israel in Egypt? It was when the Pharaoh, who forgot about Joseph, came into power and was fearful of the increase and the blessing of the people of Israel that he enslaved them. And what happens when he enslaved them? They became even more fruitful. And they increased even more. Because it's under that difficult circumstance and, and under those difficult people that God blesses. That God gives increase. And it will be Next chapter, when Jacob flees and runs off, that we will see a mirroring of this Exodus story, right? Of the people of Egypt. Jacob is living out his future grandchildren's experience. He is showing a precursor of that. But it's even deeper than that, really. It's even deeper than that. Because the Exodus story... Is the story of redemption encapsulized. The Exodus story is our story. The Exodus story is the story also of Christ. You see, Jacob was a man who left his father's house to go find a bride. And Christ is the Son of God who left his father's house to go 
to find a bride. Jacob was a man who experienced difficult circumstances and difficult people. Christ came to his own and his own did not receive him. Christ came down, left his rich father's house to be poor and to be without. Jacob shows up in this land of Padan Aram and he doesn't have anything to bargain with. He has to work 14 years for his wife. He has to work 14 years. And he'll work six years more under these circumstances that he's showing here. Christ was rich and he became poor for us. And he experienced such difficult circumstances that he went to a cross. He went to a cross to purchase his bride, to redeem his bride. He died so poor that he had to be given a grave by somebody else. A borrowed grave. A lent grave. But it's also in the story of Christ that we see the great reversal. The great reversal in which we all cry out for in our hearts. The one that gets us so excited about the ending of the movie, Shawshank Redemption. The one that finally gets us to this point in Jacob's story when we're saying, yes, finally, Laban's getting his. It's seen that in Christ's suffering, in Christ's humiliation, comes his exaltation, comes his glorification. It is through the suffering of the cross that Christ has given all his children, his family. And it's through the suffering of the cross that Christ then can return to his Father's house and build his house for us. And maybe many, many Old Testament saints were thinking, is the time of redemption not now, Lord? Is the time not now? But God fulfills his promises in his time. And at the fullness of time, Christ was born. A man under the law so that he could, in his life, fulfill the law. And in the fullness of time, Christ came and despite difficult circumstances, a people who were hardened and did not want him, did not welcome him, did not see him as their Messiah, despite difficult people, the Jews and the religious leaders who sought to kill him and to murder him, despite the fact that he was crying, was commit, he, he was commit, uh, despite the fact that he was um, accused of crimes and he was crucified on a cross, despite all of that, Christ is the fulfillment of all the promises of God. And in Christ, we become the recipients of those promises. The promise that was given to Jacob. That through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. So maybe if you are in the midst of a season of waiting on the promises of God to be fulfilled in your life, may you know 
that God does fulfill his promises, but not in your timing. In his timing, his perfect timing. And may you know that despite difficult circumstances you might be facing and despite difficult people that might be involved in your life, in fact, God uses those very circumstances and those very people to bring about the fulfillment of his promises through Jesus Christ in your life. Just as he did in Jacob's life, just as he did in Christ's life, he is doing in our lives. So be patient. Be patient and know that it's not your working, it's not your scheming, it's not your conniving that is going to bring about what God has in store for your life, but it is God who is working in you what is pleasing to Him. Working through you what is pleasing to Him. So may you know that God fulfills His promises in His timing despite difficult circumstances and difficult people. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you, Lord, that you have been with us always. And we pray, Lord, that we would know that you are at work in our lives through Jesus Christ, our Savior, fulfilling your promises and your timing despite the circumstances we might be facing or the people whom we might feel, feel are in our way. We pray, Lord, that we would trust in you, rely upon you, wait in, upon you, um, that we would pray to you, and that we, Lord, would trust that you are always guiding us and directing us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.